All right, good morning, Anthem Church. Always good, uh, always good to be here on Sunday morning. Last week, we began a new sermon series entitled Composing. And what we're, what we're doing during this series is that we're focusing on the kind of life that God is composing in his people. And so let me explain the illustration to you this way. In composing an anthem, a gifted composer grabs, chooses the right notes, and arranges them in the right order, so he's fashioning the melody. And those notes have to be in right pitch with one another, and they have to be in right rhythm with one another. And the result of that work of labor is a beautiful song. It's, it's something that is loud and eternal, something that's meant to be lasting, and, and it's meant to be loud, and it's meant to be heard by all. That's what an anthem is, and what the reality is that God is the great composer, and he is at work even as we speak this morning in the hearts of individuals writing a song, scoring an anthem in the hearts of those who belong to him. And the notes are specifically love, faith, and hope. Those are the notes in the song that God is scoring in the hearts of his people. What, what God is doing even now as we speak, he's, he's scoring, he's composing a melody of love inside of us. And he's tuning that melody with a faith that is in right pitch with God's word. And he's metering that love with a rhythm, right, with a, a hope that keeps us in rhythm with God. And so God is writing this amazing and beautiful song of love, faith, and hope in all of his people. And it's meant to be loud. It's meant to be heard. Like what we always say is that we don't simply sing songs to God. We sing anthems to God. But it's not just that we sing to God. We're to be living, breathing monuments of God's grace. We're to be living, breathing anthems of God's glory and that's supposed to be loud and that's supposed to be seen not just on earth but also in heaven so that's the illustration that we're working with and just to kind of encapsulate what it means to be part of anthem church and that's really the purpose of this series is to give us all a very clear picture of what it means to be an anthemer what it means to be a worshiper of God, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ. We, we want to give a very clear, specific picture of what it means to be part of Anthem Church, what it means to be part of what we're doing, what we're trying to actually accomplish in the lives of individuals. And that is a life that is love-filled, faith-filled, and hope-filled. That is what God is doing. So I have lots of ground to cover. Let's pray and let's get to work, right? Dear gracious Father, I praise you for this morning and this opportunity to be here together. And I ask, I beg of you, I plead this morning that you would do something amazing here at Anthem Church. Lord, I ask that you would reach deep down inside of all of our hearts and change us. Lord, I ask that you would compose this beautiful song, this eternal anthem in us, Lord, that you would score love and faith and hope into our being. Lord, this morning, teach us, 
convict us, inspire us, challenge us that we may live as your anthems in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So we began last week by taking a quick look at what it means to be love-filled. And so what it means to be love-filled is that we as people are to put the interests of other people ahead of our own. We take our personal interests, we let them down, we set them aside, and we put the interests of others for the sake of their good ahead of our own. What it means to be love-filled is that we're putting others ahead of ourselves and we're prioritizing their wants and their needs rather than our wants and our needs. So Jesus told us, he's like, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to be love-filled? You love God first, and then you love others. So love-filled is a total abandonment of self for the honor of God and for the good or for, to be a help to other people. That's what love is. It's a sacrificial life, selfless service for the good of others, for the honor of God, and for the, for the sake of helping individuals in this world. And more specifically, what, what we're talking about when we say love filled, it's, we're talking about a life that is characterized by gratitude toward God and generosity toward others. That's what it means. That's what it looks like practically to be love-filled. So last week we looked at specifically a life that shows gratitude toward God, that displays gratitude toward God. And just by, by way of quick review, what we talked about, what we discussed, is that love for God begins with gratitude toward God, and gratitude toward God begins with the gospel. It begins with the gospel. Gratitude is the grace of God echoing in our hearts. But that's really what gratitude is. It is this thanksgiving that arises up in us because of how good God is to us, how good he has been to all of us. It is this, this spirit of joy that just is, that overflows, that's overwhelming, sprouts up in us because we have partaken of the grace of God, because we have encountered the love of God, because we have come to see that he is in fact good and that he is for us. And we've given ourselves over to that. And so we are grateful. So it is the gospel itself, the good news of Jesus, that composes a heart of, of gratitude within us. So this week, we're looking at the other half of being love-filled, which is displaying generosity. So if you have your Bible with you, I hope you do, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26. The book of Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament. It's right after Numbers, right before Joshua. If you don't have a Bible, we will have the verses on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, if you'll see one of those white and blue Bibles there near you, that's our gift to you. Uh, if you don't own one, that please take that home and enjoy. We want everyone to have their own copy of God's Word. So as you're turning there, Deuteronomy chapter 26, I just want to point out this, and I, I want to see if you would agree with this statement. Don't we have such a visceral and emotional response to money? We start talking about it, and we start looking at it, 
start feeling in our pocket to see if there's any there. We have like a real emotional, I would call it a visceral response to this. Like it's, we all of a sudden turn into Gollum. Like, we pet it, rub it. Maybe that's just me. But it's my precious. It's my precious. And this is how many of us often, if not all of us, almost all the time, react to this. And it's really shocking that we would react that way to this. It's just paper. Or it's little metal coin counterparts, little pieces of metal. It's just metal. Like, but our society has assigned to this a certain value for the purpose of the exchange of goods and services. And therein lies the value of this paper, of this currency, that I can take this and trade it for something that I think is of at least equal value. So what is money? It is a tool by which we value what it is that we value. And therein lies the great potential of money. That it is, the, the potential that money has is that it shows what it is that we truly value and what it is that we truly treasure. The potential that money has is that I can show with this, with this piece of paper, I can show whether I have a greater regard for God or a greater regard for the things and the stuff of this world. That's the potential that money has. The potential also that money has is that it can show whether I have a greater value of God versus the things of this world. That's the potential that little greenbacks have for us in how we deploy, how we use our money shows us what it is that we truly treasure. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And, and the warning there is really that we serve what we love and we love what we serve. And if we love money, we will serve money. In other words, it will actually rule over us. It will control us. It will have the ability to determine your mood, your behavior, your choices, your decisions, your perspective, your attitude, your emotions. It rules over us. And what is so important for all of us to understand is that money is a sad and dissatisfying monarch. It's a sad and dissatisfying monarch. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity, it's emptiness, it's shallowness. And money, what we have to understand, and we know this, right, because it's a bit cliche, money cannot buy what? Cannot buy happiness. If you're looking for joy, if you're looking for satisfaction in money, in materialism, in wealth, 
That is akin to looking for bacon at a vegan convention. I mean, all you're going to find there is tofu bacon. And let me tell you, that ain't bacon. (laughs) Tofu bacon is highly dissatisfying. There is no joy in it. (laughs) That laugh from the back might as well be an amen, right? (laughs) And the reality is that we don't have to settle for disappointment. If money is the great disappointment, it's a sad monarch that rules over us, we don't have to settle for that. And the wonderful, beautiful, good news is that God says, I have something much better, way more satisfying. I have a blessed life for you, and I will give it to you freely. I will give you a blessed life. And a blessed life, according to God, is not me having stuff and more and accumulating and hoarding. That is not the blessed life. The blessed life is what Jesus says. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that, folks is the kind of life that God is desiring and wanting to compose in the hearts of his people. It's a life in which we deploy our financial resources in such a way that they honor God and they help others. A life of generosity in this world. So let's go ahead and get into Deuteronomy 26. The the passage here, I believe, can help to compose in us lives of generosity. I think we, we can get that here. It can create and foster in us a spirit of giving. And, and I think that there's some principles here that if we apply to our lives, can actually shatter the control of money, the control that money has over some of us. It could break us free of that, break us from its control, and help us to enjoy the blessed life that God desires for us to have, a much, much better life, a.k.a. bacon, as opposed to tofu bacon. Don't settle for tofu. Never, ever settle for tofu. All right, let's get into Deuteronomy 6. Let's read the first two verses, 1 and 2. Then it shall be when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance and you possess it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you bring in from, you, from, your, land, from your land that the Lord your God gives you and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. All right, so the first principle that I want to just share from the text is that generosity begins with taking. Does that even make sense? Generosity begins with taking. That makes no sense. I thought generosity was giving. Well, well, it begins with taking. Taking from and taking to. Taking from the first and giving to God or taking it to God. So look again at verse 2. It says there, take some of the what? First of all the produce of the ground. So generosity begins by taking not just from what God gives you, but from what the first that God gives you. What that means is that we don't give to God leftovers. We don't give crumbs and we don't give scraps to God. It's not like we look at our disposable income, use it however we like, and then if by chance there has to, happens to be anything left over, then give it to the Lord. That's what Cain did in Genesis chapter 4. He gave to God, but he gave scraps and leftovers. And for the follower of Jesus, giving shouldn't be that way. 
It's not leftovers or scraps or crumbs that we give. We give of the first. We give of what is best. In other words, we plan it. We budget it. We prioritize it. We go into our week and we go into our month knowing what that portion is that we're going to be giving to the Lord, setting apart a portion. So skip ahead to verse 13. There the person speaking and says, I have removed the sacred portion. I have removed the sacred portion. The sacred portion refers to what we call the tithe. If you grew up in church, you've heard this word. So what the tithe, the, the tithe, just generally speaking, is a gift that we give to God. It is a portion from, from taken from what God gives us, a portion that we give back or we gift back to, to the Lord. So our tithe is a sacred portion. The word sacred means holy. Holy means set apart. So this tithe, there's, there's this tithe that does not belong to us. It belongs to who? It belongs to God. It belongs to, to the Lord. That we, in essence, have been entrusted to be carriers of this specific portion, this amount that we've been blessed with. We, our role is to simply give it away. It doesn't belong to us. So if I go up to you and I say, here's five bucks, please take it to so-and-so. If you don't do that, what are you doing? Stealing. Right. Wow, that sounds harsh. That sounds harsh. But in the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, that's actually the accusation that God brings or, or the charge that God brings against the nation of Israel. He said, you are withhold, you're robbing from me. And the people are like, how are we robbing from you? You're withholding my tithes and my offerings. So taking the sacred portion that belongs to God and holding it is tantamount to stealing from God. It's what Scripture tells us. So, and what we have to understand is that this is a wonderful privilege that we have. God has given something to you, and you have a role in that process. Like, God doesn't need us for anything. He can do it any way that he wants, but he so invites us. He chooses to invite us into this thing that he's doing, this work that he's doing in this world. And it's a work of blessing, blessing people. So he lets us, he, he lets us and brings us in in order to be a blessing to others. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. And this is how we begin to sever this control of money. This is how we begin to sever this, this ruling of money over it. How do we get over a love of money? Give it away. Give it away. It's hard for it to control you if you don't have it. So you give, it, you give it away. You give away that sacred portion, and you know that it belongs to God. And as you begin to discipline your thinking in your giving that way, that my tithe does not belong to me, it belongs to God, and you begin to discipline it yourself that way, you will find that less and less over time money will control you. Right? You'll be more and more free from it and more and more apt to enjoy that blessed life that God has for us. So generosity begins with taking. Right, That's the first principle. I say that taking means taking from, so taking from the first. That's what we just discussed. And it means taking to God. So look at the second verse of verse 10. Second part, I'm sorry, second part of verse 10, second half. 
and you shall set it down, referring to tithes, offerings, your gifts to the Lord. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So our giving, our generosity is actually an act of worship to the Lord. It is an act where we are bringing something to God and we're laying it down. We're bringing ourselves and we're humbly coming before the Lord. And we're laying out. So it's an act of worship, taking a gift to God. Now, let me just share this. I've been really excited all week about this sermon, this text. It just, uh, God was just doing all kinds of stuff in in my heart through this. And um, the way I've always done it, my tithe as far as I can remember, is that I give once a month. I mean, I, this goes back as far as I literally can remember. And I budget it, I plan it, I prioritize it. I know what it is. It's possible that it may go up, but it never goes down. And, and I just know what it is. And so sometime during the month, I write the check, I cut, and there you go. Done. And in prepping for the sermon and just wrestling through the scripture and, and, and everything that God says to us in it, I, I became personally convicted to do it weekly. And, and I'm not saying that what I was doing was sinful because I don't think that was sinful to do it once a month. I'm not saying that everyone should do it that way either. I, I, I think that's a matter of personal conviction in, in who you are and where you are with the Lord and what God is asking of you. But for me, it became a thing. It's like, if I gather every week with my church family and I gather to worship God, to come before him, to offer my praises to him, right, to lift up the name of God, well, it seems very appropriate to also bring this other gift. Like my singing and my praising is a gift, but so is my giving to the Lord. And they just go so hand in hand together. So I'm bringing something from inside, and then I'm bringing something that's external, this monetary gift to, to the Lord. So I've become really convicted of that, and going forward, Lord willing, I, I, just, I will honor what he has laid upon my heart. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16 says this, Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. With such sacrifices, this doing, this sharing, God is, is pleased. And what we recognize is that the hallmark, like the, the mark, the distinguishing feature of a true, genuine follower of Jesus is that they genuinely desire to please God. That there's something in our hearts that resounds to, to, be, to be pleasing to the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. We make it our ambition to please God him to please God and and what we have to understand is that okay so our giving is an act of worship why is it an act of worship because it's an act of sacrifice and our sacrifices please him and why is giving a sacrifice because it's not easy it's not all that easy to give up what we have right it's hard to break out of the golem syndrome it's not easy to do so. And so what is required here, what I think is implied in all this, is that we must think or, or enter into our giving with intentionality, with thoughtfulness. It's, it's hard to, to worship the God without our minds and our hearts engaged. Like, how, can we, how should we give to God? We should do so thoughtfully, reverently, prayerfully. 
Like, it's, it's an act of worship. It's an act of sacrifice. We're here to please God. We're, we're worshiping him. We're bringing it before him. So we need to do it thoughtfully, carefully, prayerfully, engage our minds and our hearts, fully engaged in the process from start to finish. So here at Anthem, and, and many of you know this, we offer online giving. And it's a great tool. It's a wonderful tool. A lot of folks, a lot of folks in our church that give through our website. It's a wonderful thing. If that's one of you, thank you. Praise God. Bless you. You're supporting the mission and everything. All I ask is this. If you're one of those, before you click send or submit or whatever that button says, stop and worship. Take some time and pause And think about who it is that when you hit send, who it is that it's going to. Who it is that you're bringing it before. Think about that. You're bringing it to God. You're taking it to God. If you're a Sunday morning giver, whether you're a check writer or a cash giver, I would say the same thing. It's very easy as the basket goes by, we kind of throw it in. And we don't think nearly about it the way that we should. So I would ask all of you in your giving, in your planning, your budgeting, your prioritizing, if you're writing a check, if you're putting the money in, when you come here, whether you do it online, regardless, take the time and use it as an act of worship to the Lord every time you do it. And the more you do that, as you discipline yourself to think of it as an act of worship, as an act of sacrifice that pleases God, more and more you will be free of money's control. More and more you'll begin to experience this life that God has for us, this blessed life of where it's more blessed to give than to receive. All right, so generosity begins with taking. Second principle, number two, uh, generosity is a profession of faith. It's a profession of faith. Typically, our, we think of a professional faith as baptism. So our baptism is our public profession of faith. But guess what? Our giving, our tithing to the Lord, our gifting to God, they are constant professions of faith in our lives. So let me show you how that's the case. Look at verse 3. You shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God, that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. So what is happening here in Deuteronomy 26, Israel is about to enter the promised land. And they're being reminded of how they're supposed to live once they enter into this land that God is giving them. So he's saying, when you enter and when you give your tithes, your gifts, your offerings to the Lord, you bring it to a priest, to the temple, and there... You declare, you speak out loud words that affirm you're your in a relationship with God. Do you see that? Well, how that says that? You shall go to the priest in the office and say, I declare this day that I have entered the land. So our giving is a personal profession of faith. When we give, we are declaring that we are, in fact, in a covenant relationship with God. When you give, when you give, you're declaring that you have received the grace of God in your life and that you are in Christ and that you are in a relationship with God. 
Like in our giving, what we're doing is that we are affirming that we belong to God and he belongs to us, that he is our God and we are his people. Through our generosity, we are, in fact, every time rededicating ourselves to the commitment that we made back at some point to be followers of Jesus. Every time you give, that is what should be going through our minds and, in fact, should be what's happening in our hearts. It is a profession of faith. So, that being the case, and you're not going to hear many pastors say what I'm about to say, if you are a follower, if you are not a follower of Christ, if your faith is not in the gospel, giving is not for you. It is not for you. The blessing of being able to give a tithe to the Lord is for those who are in relationship with God. Here's the fear and that I, I never want to be a part of provoking or promoting, that someone's giving may give them a false sense of security, thinking that somehow because they gave, it earned God's favor. And that can never be the case. We can never earn God's favor. It can't be done. You can't buy it. You can't bribe God's grace. You can't purchase it from him. It is something that he freely gives. So it is for those who have confessed that Jesus is their Lord, their Savior. It's for those who have partaken of grace. They have, they have come up close to the generosity of God. Right? They have sat under the fountain of God's benevolent grace. They sat there and they've swam in an ocean of God's kindness through Christ. And having received that, that is who then is able to give and, and entrusted a tithe to, to give to others. Giving is for those who, who have received generous love and mercy from God. And the good news is that every person in this room can be a receiver of God's grace. Every person in this room. It is a free gift that God offers to each and every one of us. His generosity is freely available to all. And so what I would ask is that no one walk out of this building, that no one would exit this building without first having entered into that new life in Christ. To receive. And receive so that you could give. So that money no longer controls you. And you can now enjoy that blessed life in which giving is way more blessed than receiving. So if you're a, you are a follower of Jesus, just remind yourself of this. Every time you give, in your, not just the giving, but the planning of it, remind yourself who you belong to. Profess your faith in Jesus. Every time you write that check, every time you go online, however you do it, every time, profess. And the more you do that, the less and less money will control you. All right, so generosity begins with the taking Generosity is a profession of faith. Number three, the third principle is that generosity is gospel-driven. Gospel-driven. Let's read verses 5 through 10 all together. You shall say before the Lord your God, 
My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, but there he became a great and mighty and populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toll and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with a great terror and with signs and wonders. And he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. In the Old Testament, this is how it worked. The Israelites, the Jews, they would bring their gift, their tithe to the temple, and there they would recite the story of how God liberated them from captivity, of how God had taken them from bondage in Egypt under the oppressive, tyrannical hand of a malevolent monarch who controlled them and was harsh and cruel to them. And, and so they would recite the story and how God, by his divine power, liberated them out of that. How he set them free from the tyranny that ruled over their life. How he set them free and liberated away out of that, that tyrannical oppression. They cried out to God, and, and God being good and kind, he not only delivered them, he not only rescued them, he not only brought them out, he gave them a good place to live. Like, how merciful, how good is God? He brings them into a new land. He brings them into a new life, a life of blessing, in which he watches over them, and he guards them, protects them, leads them, provides for them. And so what they would do is that they would come to the temple before this, this priest, and they would do this recital. And the recital was meant to remind them that the reason they give to God in the first place is on account of his goodness. Because he has already proven to be loving and gracious and kind. The generosity of God's people is to be motivated and inspired by the generosity of God. And it's the same today. It is especially the case today. Particularly the case today that our giving should be driven by the gospel for the reality is that we were all oppressed. Every single one of us weighted down by our sin a noose around our necks, burdened by guilt and by shame, by addictions and depression, by fear and worry and lust and anger and anxiety and all of it, weighted down, enslaved by fear and darkness, helpless, hopeless, condemned to death, because of our sinful status before an all-holy, all-powerful God. Praise God. 
that our God is not only all-holy and all-powerful, but he's all-loving. And so God the Father sent the Son in a display, a divine display of love. And so Jesus comes down to earth. And he never sinned. Tempted in every way, but he never sinned. Innocent, blameless. All he ever did was help people. All he ever did was tell the truth. All he ever did was heal individuals and feed the hungry. That's all he ever did. But then men accused him of wrongdoing. Men no different than us. And they took innocent and blameless Jesus and they convicted him of wrongdoing when he was innocent. And they beat him. They spat on his face. They mocked him to his face. They applied the whip to his back. And in gruesome cruelty, they nailed him to a cross. And on that cross, Jesus endured the greatest horror that the universe, time and space, heaven and earth will ever know. On that cross, he endured the righteous judgment, the indignation of God on account of our sins. What happened in that moment is that Jesus took your sin in such a way that it became his sin. As if he was the one who did it. He owned it to that degree. And what happened in that moment is that God the Father from heaven looked down at Jesus as if he were us. And he poured out on Christ that which should be poured out on us. And there Jesus paid for it all, once and for all, done. He paid the price. It was the only way to free us from the tyranny of sin. It was the only way. And there on that cross, Jesus, he breathes his last breath and he says those beautiful words, it is finished it is finished and he paid it and it was done that's the gospel that's the gospel of Jesus Christ that he breathed his last breath he gave his life he sacrificed himself that we may have life and so now whosoever believes in him whosoever pledges their life to them and becomes his follower and, and receives his grace receives this new life this eternal life forgiveness of all sin all the burden all the sin all the shame is removed all the shortcomings all the failure the brokenness the disappointment melts away because of what Jesus did that's that's the gospel that's the good news of of God's generosity that Jesus did not leave us helpless he did not leave us stranded and helpless and hopeless, but he came down and did battle with our enemy, with sin and with death, and he whipped it. 
He was raised from the dead. Conqueror, victor over all our sin, over all our darkness and over our enemies. And if that's who he is, if that's our God and he's all loving and all good and all powerful and he did that for us, how should we hold back any generosity from him or others or others? Our giving should be gospel-driven, motivated, and inspired by who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us on the cross. When you budget, when you tithe, when you give, wherever you do it, whenever you do it, pause and consider the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And as you do that, something amazing will begin to happen in your heart. Money will not rule you as much because you'll find that Jesus rules you. The old monarch would have been replaced by a new and greater and satisfying monarch, Jesus. Generosity begins with taking. Generosity professes our faith. Generosity is gospel-driven. Fourth, generosity supports God's mission. Look again at verse 13. You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house and also have given it to the Levite and the alien, the orphan and the widow. So it's not, folks, that when we give tithes and offerings and gifts to God, it's not that it goes to like a heavenly Fort Knox. Like it doesn't go to some big old treasure trove. It's not like God is smog and he's just dancing around and and diving into mounds of gold. It's not, not that at all. When we give to God, we are actually giving to others. Giving to God means others. So we always say, what we're talking about is gratitude to God and generosity toward others. We are grateful to God in in that we should be generous to him. We're grateful in such a way that we should be generous to God. But at the end of the day, generosity to God, what does that look like? It looks like generosity toward toward other people. We give to God, but it goes to other folks. Here in this verse, it refers to Levites, aliens, orphans, and widows. The Levites were the priests back in the day. They're the ones that worked in the temple back in the Old Testament days. They they did the hands-on daily ministry. And today, we don't have priests. There are, in, in the New Testament, there are no priests. Jesus, like we sang earlier, he is our one and only great high priest. He is in heaven. He's doing the work of the priest up in heaven in the real temple up there. Okay, so he's the priest. We don't have priests now. However, God does appoint individuals on earth to do ministry or to administer the work of the gospel i don't i don't say to do the work of the gospel because that's for all believers to do at all times that's for all of us but to administer the gospel in a very unique and in in special way not special but a, a different kind of way um individuals who do ministry and who do missions so we think pastors we think missionaries pastors and ministers who administer the work of the gospel in a vocational sense all right so here at anthem when you give your giving supports me and my family thank you thank you 
It allows me to be a pastor to you. It allows me to lead a church and allows me to be a missionary in town. You know, you're feeding my family, so thank you. You're, you're, and, and I hope the gospel is being promoted as a result of that. Um, when you give, you know that 10% of what you give automatically goes out the door to international missions, support missionaries, and the church planning in the U.S. and abroad. So as a church, we tithe. What you tithe. Uh, there was a friend of mine here last week happened to visit, and he planted a church a few months ago, and we're actually supporting that church. I meant to introduce him, and my bad that I didn't. But we're supporting a brand-new church an hour and a half from here. So your giving not only is supporting the gospel in Andrew and furthering the gospel in ministry and making disciples here, it's, it's going elsewhere. And that's why we, we, we take up money for Haiti. So when you give, we're, you're subsidizing this trip that we have coming up in five months, June 20th to the 27th, uh, to the third world nation. It's not even third world, fourth world nation of Haiti. And what I hope is this. This is what I pray, that we take a team of eight. It costs about $1,400. For someone to go. I would, don't want for anyone to have to pay more than $400 out of pocket. We've already received $1,900 toward Haiti. We got to come up with $6,100 in about four months. We took up that much last year with way less people than we have now. So would you consider designating a portion on top of your normal giving that would be designated specifically to subsidize this trip to Haiti so that we send a team that ministers the gospel that takes the love of Jesus in a very practical and tangible way to a place that so, that so desperately needs it. So, in other words, give to the Levites. Give to the Levites. Uh, we're also to give to the alien, the orphan, and the widow, which here in this text means to, to give to those who are in need. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, when you give to the poor, when you give, not if you give when you give. Jesus makes the assumption that his followers will, in fact, give generously to those who are in need. When you give. So what we started doing here is that during Anthem Night, during Anthem Night, we're going to take up, we take up a benevolence offering. So we started this last month, and we're going to continue this. So Anthem Night is the, usually the fourth Sunday of every month. It's a special night where we just gather for an extended amount of time, singing, praising, worshiping God. That's when we take the Lord's Supper. And this is when we're going to take up a benevolence offering in which the funds specifically go to help those in need in our church and in town. What else are we going to do? We hope next month to start a very... Uh, unique or specific part of the Andrew Food Pantry ministry. So there's people in town, they feed 600 people every month. 600 people every month. And they can only feed the people once a month. They don't have enough food to, feed, to give people food every week. So you can only go once a month. And they only give non-perishable food items. Well, and on Thursday they can give some perishable. Um, but they don't get toiletries. What about toothpaste and soap and toilet paper and deodorant and some of these other, that costs money too. So what we thought is, what if as a church we begin to do this on our own and we put boxes or bags together that's got these items and we take them over there and, and I don't know if we can give enough for 600, but what if we can give enough for 10? That's way better than nothing. What if God blesses us and we can do 100? What if it's 200? 
But man, what an opportunity to be a blessing. And, and I'm hoping in the spring that we'll also be able to do what we did last year, the free yard sale. And folks, this is one of the best things we have done as a church. Where we ask people to donate clothing and toys and furniture and yard equipment and, and household goods and silverware, whatever it may be, stuff that you would sell at your personal yard sale, donate it so that we may donate it. And we give it away. And recently, I happened to be at the food pantry, and there was a couple of ladies there, and they said, oh, uh, you, I remember you. You're from that church that gave the stuff. And it took me a second, like, huh, what are you talking about? Da, da, we came, and you gave stuff away. I'm like, oh, the, the free yard sale, yeah. And, I mean, they were overwhelmed. That was one of the nicest things anyone has ever done for me. The, the day of that free yard sale, uh, our Matthew Denning, Matt Denning was outside, and a lady was in tears as she's driving away. She says, no one has ever been this loving to me. That's good stuff. Folks, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What a blessing. God would give us simply that we would return that and turn that over to other people. So here's the point. If we begin to see our giving and our generosity and our tithing, as a way of promoting God's mission, of advancing the gospel, of making disciples, if we begin to see it as a means of actually helping those who are in need, and more importantly, taking the gospel, because that's our greatest need, to those who haven't heard it. If you begin to think that way, oh my word, how little control money will have over your heart. Because you will see it for what it is simply a tool by which to honor God and help others. So let me ask, do you possess a loved, filled heart? Is your heart a heart of generosity? Have you learned the lesson that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Have you learned the joy of giving? Have you learned that there's greater joy in loving God and loving others rather than loving the things of this world? Have you learned that? You know, some other day we'll, we'll discuss how much we give and percentages and is it before or after taxes and, and those kinds of riveting questions that get us mired down when we start talking about giving. Um, for today, let it suffice to say, just give. Just give. Give as much as you can. Do it with a cheerful, grateful, willing heart. Do it thinking about how much Christ has done for you. You know, if you struggle with generosity, I, I pose to you that it may very well be that it's because you haven't actually embraced Jesus Christ yet. It may be that your faith is not in him. It may be that you haven't received, you haven't entered into this new life. You haven't been forgiven yet. And folks, you could do that this morning. Right now, you can sit under the fountain of God's generosity, of his grace and kindness, and receive all the mercy you will ever need between now and infinity from now. 
Will you come before God and confess your sin and confess your failure and confess that you need Christ? Give your life over to him and enter into that new, new life. If you are a follower of Jesus and you struggle with generosity, repent. God loves you. Your sin's already been washed away. Every bit of it. So let the grace just, just breathe in God's grace and let it renew you. And then let it spur you. Let it inspire you to live this way more blessed life that we're called to live. We are Anthem Church. May God compose in us love-filled hearts where we love God and love others. We're grateful to God and we're generous to others. Let's pray. Lord Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity we've had to come before you. I thank you for the gift, Lord, that you've given to us where you provide and you bestow and you offer yourself and you offer grace. And Lord, I I pray for anyone in the room who may be realizing that they're not in right relationship with you and they haven't entered into your grace, Lord. I pray that they would do that now, that they would ask for forgiveness now where they are that they would embrace you as you are willing to embrace them. And Lord, I pray for the believers in the room. We struggle with giving. We struggle with generosity, Lord. Free us. Free us, Lord, from the things of this world. Lord, instill it in our hearts to know, to know, to know that it is more blessed to give than to receive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We want to stand and offer our praises to the Lord. <laughs>